The following episode contains major plot points that may spoil movies for some viewers. A spoiler warning is now in effect. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. How's it going, everyone? I'm hoping you guys are having a wonderful Sunday, and I know it's been a while since we've been on here. Yeah, we got COVID a couple weeks ago, as I posted on our Instagram. That's why we didn't have a podcast episode last week. It wasn't fun. <laughs> it really wasn't. Say. That really did feel like a horror movie for me. Yeah, and it sucks too because we believe we got COVID <laughs> when <laughs> Colin's band was performing one weekend. And yeah. it was a really fun event for it the most a, part. It was a great show. It was like our first show in two and a half years. And then I get COVID from it. Yeah, and, and it, it's a kind of like shitty thing. It was bullshit because I've been to shows before that, before our show, and I was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, in other shows, but want no. But once we start playing and everything, we start to get sick. Yeah, and then let's see. We came down with symptoms around Monday and Tuesday, yeah. and then we had to quarantine from work. We had to quarantine from other people, and you know, we're feeling better now. We still get a slight cough, mm-hmm. and we still feel some like phlegm and congestion. <laughs> but yep. for the most part, we're okay. Yeah, we're good you for know. the most part. Like, I definitely feel a lot better, but little things like, uh, like she said, like, you know, br- <clears throat> like uh, coughing and also sometimes breathing for me. I mean, it's the little things like that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm okay, so, yeah. so I'm all good to go. Yeah, and I wanted to take a minute before we jump into our topic for the week. I just want to acknowledge that in the past couple of weeks since we've, since our last episode, a lot of stuff has been happening in the news. That's been kind of scary, kind of not so great, and it's not fun. I will admit. I mean, on top of having COVID, having the potential risk of having your bodily autonomy rights taken away, and potentially in recent events with the shooting in Buffalo, having your life taken away by some whack job with racist issues, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a fun time to be an American right now. But I did want to share some really good news that I learned the other day that I thought was important to share. So I talked about this a little bit with Colin before we got started, but SIDS, I just explained it to Colin. For those of you who don't know what SIDS is, it's Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, and for the longest time, nobody ever knew what was causing it. And I'm going to read a bit of an article about it from Newsweek, but they actually, scientists actually figured and discovered what the cause of SIDS was because it's been theorized for a long time that SIDS was caused by like issues with cribs and cots and bassinets and stuff. People have been doing things to try to make it safer for their babies to be able to sleep in beds and cots and such. So I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, Families affected by the tragic condition known as sudden infant death syndrome have spoken out about their experiences after a new study suggests scientists are close to identifying a cause. So by definition, the cause of SIDS is unknown. The condition can be painful for bereaved parents who are left without answers because it's still, like, again, people who have babies are very, very cautious Mm -hmm. about their safety. And when you learn... When you learn about sudden infant death syndrome, like the statistics of that are high, incredibly high. And it's 
scary for a lot of parents. Like, I even remember my parents would tell me that when I was first born, they watched me while I slept because we're like, we wanted to make sure that you were breathing, you know? And it's like, yeah. you know, it, it, people are cautious <coughs> about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Some evidence has suggested that infants who die from SIDS have a brain condition affecting nerve cells that might control vital functions like breathing and heart rate, but other possible factors had also been identified. Scientists have now pinpointed a chemical, and I'm not going to try to even pronounce this word, like, Colin, look at this word. Tell me you can pronounce that word. Uh, wait, hold on. Buttery colon... Stress. It that's not at all what it yeah. says, but it's a it's shortened termed as BCHE. The activity of which they found to be significantly lower in babies who died of SIDS compared to living infants or those who died of conditions other than SIDS. The finding could mean that doctors will be able to identify infants at risk for SIDS prior to death and open up new research to prevention. This is really good news, and I was really intrigued to learn about this because it's like, again, never it's never been proven what caused SIDS. So essentially what this component does for babies is it works as like an <clears throat> internal alarm. Like, you know how like when we sleep, sometimes we'll feel like a sensation that jolts us awake mm-hmm. in the middle of the night? That's what happens when your body stops breathing and your heart rate gets too low, yeah. and you're starting to lose oxygen, your body produces this enzyme that sends this alarm through your system like, hey, wake up. Like, you're not breathing, you need to wake up. And True. this happens a lot with babies, which is why sometimes, in the middle of the night, they'll jolt themselves awake and cry. It's a very interesting discovery. I, lo- I thought it was noteworthy to share. Yeah. And... Yeah, science. <coughs> science is awesome. Nerd. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, hey. I'm just kidding. Hey. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I actually love science growing up in high school, so yes. Yeah, because this is an interesting scientific dis- discovery, and it's just amazing, A, what you can learn from science, B, how the human body works is just a weird fucking thing. I mean, oh, yeah. the human body does cool things, but weird things. So I thought this this was an interesting thing to discuss. It is fascinating, so yeah. That being said, we'll go into our topic for the week. So let me say something before we go into that. So our topic today is definitely about soundtracks. And when you think of soundtracks, you think of like musicals like Grease and West Side Story and stuff like that. But today, we we were thinking, when we think of like our favorite soundtracks, they're a little different from the regular soundtracks because they're horror-themed. So, the other day, we were watching Little Shop of Horrors, and... She is so obsessed. I was thinking to myself, we haven't done a sort of, like, debate in a while, because we did debate movies on vampires, we did debate movies about werewolves. We haven't really done anything like that since. So I was like, why don't we do a debate on horror-themed musicals. I wouldn't say debate. I was just talking <clears throat> about, like, our favorite musicals and why we like them. Well, not just our favorite musicals. I mean, if you asked me what my favorite musical was, I can't give you an answer. Because there's so many good ones out there. But because this is the Abby Normal podcast and we discuss all things horror on here, 
the theme is horror musicals. So I we mean, we each picked we, we we each picked our favorite horror themed musical to discuss on the show, I, and we're going to talk about why each one is good. I was gonna I was gonna joke by saying Cats is pretty horrendous. So would you consider that a horror soundtrack? I haven't seen the new Cats <laughs> movie. But that original, who's? But I know that Cats is like, it's one of those musicals that's like really well known, but not that good. It's like at least in my opinion. Again, I've never seen the new movie. Like musical snobs love, like Broadway snobs love Cats, but like the regular crowd, if you ask them, they'd be like, Cats, why? Well, what you want to introduce? What we're going to talk about today? Yeah. All right, so we're going to talk about two of our favorites today. Yeah, we're going to talk about yours, and I'll talk about mine. Um, if you want to go first, or do, do you, you want, me want to go, go first? I feel like yours is more well known than mine. Yeah, well, I might as well go first then. So, ladies first. Hi. Um, today I'm going to be discussing my favorite is Phantom of the Opera. I know that's a lot of everyone's favorite one. But it's a I, very popular musical. Very, very popular. Even my Aunt Sue had told me she went to New York City to go see the Broadway back in the day. And I mm. thought that's awesome. My mom absolutely <laughs> loves Family the Opera. It's so does her, my mom, too. It's her all-time favorite musical. I think it's everybody's favorite musical. But my mom especially loves it. And my dad also loves it. And I think they went to go see a performance one time. Yeah. And they both loved it. Well, let's just uh, give them the facts. All right. In case some of you don't know Phantom of the Opera, it's actually based on the 1910 French novel of the same name, written by Gaston Larose. 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 Uh, and uh, and actually, it was one of my favorite silent films that came out in 1925, starring Lon Chaney Sr. And yeah, I think there's two actual film adaptations of the book. Yeah, there is. And Andrew I mean, Andrew Lloyd Webber wanted to do <clears throat> a musical based off of the movie. Yeah. But when they when they looked at both films, they couldn't really depict yeah. how they wanted to go about because they're both turning, horror and how to turn this horror story into a romantic musical. Yeah. But then he picked up the book, and that's where it sparked a whole bunch of ideas. And uh, yeah. And uh, so it's a uh, family opera, as you all know. And the playwright and composer of this is Andrew Lloyd Webber, of course, who's done a lot, a lot of musicals. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a genius behind a lot of the music and a lot of the... A lot of the music and performances on Broadway. Oh, yeah. yeah. And when it comes to writing music, he <laughs> is a genius. Mm-hmm. And the lyrics for this is also actually two people, Charles Hart and Richard Stago. And the first performance was October 9th, 1986, which is pretty fitting because it's Halloween time in 86. So you see Phantom of the Opera coming out in the, the-, in the uh, Broadway shows. Yeah. And that is pretty cool. And mm-hmm. I remember they've actually made videos of Phantom of the Opera musical back in the day. Mm-hmm. They actually made little music videos for each of the uh, songs that they did for this. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty cool. I mean... The original singer, I mean, the original singers are good and stuff, but I feel like I kind of like the 2004 uh, singers better. Actually, the the original actress who uh, performed the Christine Dyer role 
in the 1986 performances was mm-hmm. Andrew Lloyd Webber's wife at oh, the wow. time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Sarah Brightman. Yep. Yep, she was cast as Christine, and she was Lloyd's uh, wife. So, yeah. Nice. And, uh... <coughs> sorry. And, uh, first musical opened in London's West End in 1986 and on Broadway in New York in 1988. So, just imagine those tickets being hot back then. Well, they may not have been so hot at the time. I mean, I don't really know about really? Broadway. Really? I feel like they're a huge success. I mean, they won awards. Well, when, when a show is popular, yeah, they sell tickets, especially in the years following. But the, I would imagine those first opening nights might be a little rocky. Mm. No I mean, pun intended I for mean, my... probably, but really. Anyway, so... I was going to say no pun intended for my selection, but... I, I hate you. Anyway, anyway, so... But it turned out to be a big success because it's won a few awards. It's won the Oliver Award in 86, won the Tony Award for Best Musical in 88... Michael Crawford, as the role of the Phantom, won the Olive and Tony Awards for Best Actor in a Musical. Oliver Lawrence uh, Awards, yeah. Yes, whatever. Um, But it really did come to show that the thing was a huge success, especially in the 80s. It's still a success. And for what it is to come, because they made a film adaptation of it in 2004, starring Gerard Butler. Yep. And um, Amy Rossum. Emmy Rossum. She Emmy. was in Shameless. Yeah. She's a great singer. And yeah. just showing, show, seeing her on Shameless was so weird. It's a very different <laughs> switch. Like a different type of character and personality from going from playing Christine Daae in Family of the Opera to Fiona Gallagher in Shameless. It's a total 180. I kind of wish she would sing on the show Shameless, especially in all those like tough times that she had. And she would have a moment just to sing it out. That would be beautiful. I watch it. I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised, but you can definitely see her on the show. Shameless. She's smoking a lot of cigarettes, and I'm like, that cannot be that great for I, your health. I guess, she or really, your singing voice. Yeah, I guess she really wanted to give up on singing then. But it is currently the longest running mm-hmm. show in Broadway history, and performed its 10,000 Broadway performance on February of 2022. That's a lot of performances. That is nuts. Yeah. Wait, did you say 2022? Yeah. No, it's 2012, honey. Man, your writing's horrible. Anyway, Leave yes. me alone. God. So, 2012. So, what would it be now then? It would be definitely a lot more than 10,000. Oh, I'd have to pull out a calculator. But I know, like... Don't do it. Okay. I know, like, between the year 1986 and 2012 was probably, like, a good 30 years or less. And then 10 years between 2012 and 2022, you have to take into account, too, that Broadway was closed down for a while during the pandemic, so there really wasn't a whole lot of fan- 26 years of, of that, between 86 and 2012. Okay. All right. So, yes. But go on. So, anything... <laughs> what, do you, what do you like about... The, the performance or the, the I like it because you know me. I'm a guy who usually is not so serious, like a guy who doesn't really, you know, take himself seriously or watches stuff especially that's not so serious. But yep. I just love this story and the Broadway and the musical and everything about it because it's just so compassionate and just really, really is knows what its true self is. 
And it's just like, I feel like this is just such a beautiful, tragic love story. It is. And it's like... And I do like those sometimes. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I love <clears throat> Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> it's like one of the biggest musicals I grew up listening to as a kid. And, and plus, they have some of the most well-written songs on, on that thing. Yeah. And I mean, this, this is my take on family opera. It's a beautifully tragic love story, like you that, said. That's what I just said. And it's, like, it's got a very big cult following. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard not to like it because it's, you know, everything about it is just beautiful. The music, the dancing, the costumes, even the settings, like the story itself is just beautifully sad. Yeah. When you watch it and you follow the story, you know, you just, you just witness this whole thing unfold. And it's like, you know, it kind of leaves you with more questions than answers almost at the end. But at the same time... And I want to throw this out there because I just think I just think it's so interesting. Going back to what my mom and her love of this musical, mm-hmm. my mom has always believed that Christine Daae should have ended up with the Phantom instead of Raul. Spoiler alert! But this is my hot take on that opinion. Okay, and I'm not I'm not bashing people. If you are on that side of Team Phantom versus Team Raul, but if you are somebody. Who believes that Christine Daae should have ended up with Phantom? You have daddy issues. I'm sorry, but hear me out. You think your mom has daddy issues? Here's my reasoning behind my my statement here. Okay. Chris, in, in, the, in the story, Christine Daae believes that the Phantom is an angel sent by her deceased father to watch over her. And guide her and teach her how to sing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. So in her mind's eye, she believes that this phantom is the spirit of her father guiding her and watching over her. Mm-hmm. Why would somebody pursue a relationship with a father figure like that? Well, I don't know. People are weird that way. That's my whole reasoning and logic behind why I believe the way I believe. Okay. I'm glad she does end up with Raul. I'm heartbroken for the Phantom for him losing his love. But it's not a good... It's a little bit obsessive. It does get violent. It's really obsessive, which is very unhealthy. True. Because here's the thing. And I, and I always... I was thinking about this today because <laughs> before, before we sat down and did this podcast, I was prepping for our dinner today and I was listening to Phantom of the Opera and I was listening to All I Ask of You... And I'm sitting there and I'm chopping up stuff and I'm like thinking to myself, what was the game plan here for a phantom? Yeah. You you meet this young girl, you coach her how to sing, you teach her how to sing, mm-hmm. you encourage her to be an opera mm-hmm. singer. Yeah. And then you take her down into your lair, you profess your love for her, you claim you want to you marry confess, her. Right? Or- Pro- profess, meaning you are projecting your feelings to this person that, that yeah. you love them. Mm-hmm. What was the plan <laughs> after that? <laughs> because you clearly want her to have some sort mm. of musical career. Yeah. But in the same breath, you want her for yourself. Mm-hmm. You want to drag her down into your you know world of darkest dreams and just spend the rest of your lives together. How is that going to work? That's a good question. Because unless you want her to have this 
lavish musical career that you want to be proud of because you made this happen, Mm -hmm. you have to share her with people who want to hear her sing. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. So what was the plan here? Good question. Why introduce her to the world as a singer if she was never going to have a long-lasting career in singing? It just doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. But that's not to say I don't like it. I love Fan of the Opera. It is one of my favorite musicals. I just think that when you sit down and you digest it and you analyze all the different components of this musical, but it doesn't make sense. <coughs> Excuse me. Is there anything you want to talk about? No, I think you covered everything. I also want to point out that the movie was directed by Joel Schumacher, who is uh, directed Lost Boys. Wait, Joe Schumacher did Family Opera? Yeah, Joel Schumacher directed Family Opera. This is why this is so good. I'm like, that disgrace who directed mm-hmm. Lost Boys? Hey, 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 he passed away. Be nice to him. When? Yeah, I think he passed away about a year or two ago, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, yeah, say you're sorry, you selfish jerk. <laughs> Look, you woke up Lily. All right. Anything else you want to No, you mention? juice. You joke. Ju- you what? You, what were you going to call me? You Joel Schumacher hater. I almost said juice. Oh, God. Okay. Juice. Never mind. So, when I was thinking about doing this type of this type of topic, I was watching Little Shop of Horrors. It's now my new favorite musical. She is so obsessed. It's ridiculous. I downloaded the soundtrack on my iPod, and I've been listening to it for the past couple of weeks. It's and been my watching the movie almost every day. It's my new favorite thing, and I love it. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Nope. Because I sat down... Your original favorite. No, because I sat down and I looked over the list of horror-themed musicals, and compared to Phantom of the Opera, there is a close second to popularity and iconic musical, Mm -hmm. and that is Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I say it because everybody who, like knows Tim Curry, knows about Rocky Horror Picture Show, and knows how iconic the Dr. Frankenfurter character is. The song Sweet Transvestite is a hugely popular song. Mm-hmm. And because the music is such has such a cult following today, it has something that Phantom doesn't really do, which is, um, what do you call it? What are those types of performances where audiences dress up and interact with the oh, show. Oh, they kind of like, they I, they co-inline with the show. They mimic the show. They. Uh, I know there's a word for it, but let me look it up. Hang well, on. they usually go to midnight showings. Yeah, midnight dress, showings. And they dress up as the characters, and they follow along with the, the lines, and they throw mm. popcorn like when like it's raining. They basically, they do everything involving with the show. Yeah, so initial reception was extremely negative, but it soon (coughs) became a hit as a midnight movie when audiences began participating with the film at the Waverly Theater in New York City in 1976. Mm -hmm. So this play is longer and older than Found the Opera. Audience members returned to the cinemas frequently and talked back to the screen and began dressing as the characters, spawning similar performances groups across the United States. This shadow cast mimed the actions on the screen above and behind them while lip-syncing their favorite lines. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of like... It's more than a movie. It's it's an experience. Yeah, it's life. Which, which is like a Broadway musical. It's something that you experience, 
But as, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's something that you can participate in. See, if they actually made a Broadway musical <clears throat> Rocky Horror Picture Show in Broadway in New York City, you know a lot of people would go to it. And it's, it, while it's not a Broadway musical, it is still an original production that was released, well, the movie was released, in September 26, 1975. It has a runtime of an hour and 38 minutes and was directed by Jim Sharman. It stars Tim Curry, Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick, Richard O'Brien, and the late and great Meatloaf. Yeah, I think Jim Sharman is actually the one who's the writer and musical uh, writer behind Meatloaf. Mm-mm. Maybe, but here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> the film also co-stars cast from the original Royal Court Theater, Roxy Theater, and Belasco Theater Productions, Nell Campbell, and Patricia Quinn. Do you, did you know what that means? Because you're looking at me like, um, what does that mean? No, I'm, I hear you. So, like I said, before it was a movie, it was an actual production. And Nell Campbell and Patricia Quinn <coughs> were original <laughs> cast members from those productions. Mm-hmm. So they casted them to play the roles of Magenta and Columbia in the movie. Which is cool. Screenplay written by Charmin and Rick O'Bri- Richard O'Brien, who played Riff Raff mm-hmm. in the movie... And it's based on a 1973 musical stage production by Richard <coughs> O'Brien. So he wrote the songs, wrote the screenplay, wrote everything. Jim Sharman helped write with, with the screenplay writing and directed it. But Richard O'Brien is essentially the man behind the whole pr- making of this thing. Which is really cool. And the production is really a parody tribute to science fiction and horror B movies of the 30s through the 60s. Because it's got like a little bit of everything in it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I, I think it's a really iconic fun musical. It's very colorful. It's eccentric. Mm-hmm. It's all over the place, but it's like fun. No. You know, it's got a lot of themes of homosexuality, bisexualism. No. Like I think, I just think it's really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And the songs are just so catchy. Like you, like you can't just listen to the time warp and not want to like do the dance. Do the actual you know? time warp, yeah. And they actually had a remake of their own. Yeah. Not too long ago, they did a Rocky Horror Picture Show remake where Laverne Cox played uh, Frankfurter. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They did a TV version. Yeah, for uh, I yeah, think um, NBC uh, or something. Yeah, made for TV version of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Guess who played Meat Loves character? Who? Adam Lambert. <laughs> oh, not surprising. No, but uh, but I know um, Tim Curry was in it too, but he was like a different character. He played the narrator. Yes, he did. Which I thought was awesome. Yeah, which is very nice that they he brought they brought him back into it. Yep. Yeah, wish he could be Frank Furter, but I know that's impossible. But right, but it was it's a fun mm. musical production. It really falls in line with that horror theme, like, basis to it. Yeah. And it's just amazing. I love it. Yeah, it was a good time. I mean, I loved loved the movie growing up as a kid, so it's really nice to, like, go back into something that you really enjoy watching. I remember the first time I watched Rocky Horror Picture Show also. Mm -hmm. It was back when you lived on Monroe Avenue, remember? I know. I, you were out of town that night, but I went to your place, and I ordered Domino's, and I sat in your bedroom, and I watched Rocky Horror Picture Show. But what made you want to watch that? I just found it one day, and my sister was like, 
oh, you've never seen Rocky Horror Picture Show? I'm like, no. And she's like, oh, you've got to watch it. She's like, it's so much fun. Yeah, and then you so watched it. And I watched it, I liked it, <clears> and I thought it was really fun. Yeah, then and after that, you were obsessed with it. Not only was I, like, a little bit obsessed with it, but I think you and I even mentioned this before in a previous episode, like when we did our Fun Facts episode. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can find it. In an interview with Terry Gross on her radio program, Fresh Air, Tim Curry said that he got to meet Prince Charles and Princess Diana because she loved Curry in that movie, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. The royal family is weird, but I mean... I feel like Diane was the only normal one, but yeah, everyone else is weird. None. I wouldn't say she was normal. I mean, she was a bit of an outcast in that family. I think her, her interests that weren't of really, like... Royalty. Royalty normality was a little odd. But I like that. I like that knowing that. I, I thought my, that was really cool. I remember my dad growing up telling me that he, she was a huge fan of Genesis and mm-hmm. Phil Collins and all that because her favorite album of all time was Trick of the Tail. That came mm-hmm. out in '76, so she was a huge fan of that. So she always admired Genesis. She was close friends with um, mm-hmm. Elton John. Elton John, Gianni Versace. They actually both attended his funeral when he was assassinated. Yeah. And yeah, she just knew a lot. She knew a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. But what do you like about Rocky Horror Picture Show? What do you not like about it? <laughs> That's funny. I don't know. It's, I don't really have any dislikes about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I enjoy it. It's weird. It's it's centric, like you said. It's got incredibly catchy tunes <clears throat> in that movie. And I think the one thing I hated about it growing up as a kid, I hated that Tim Curry killed Meatloaf. I think that was like the only thing I didn't like because I love Meatloaf and not my mom's Meatloaf, but him. And literally he just gets killed by Tim Curry. And I'm just like, he could have killed Tim Curry, but no. That was just kind of well, ruined the story. Here's my thing. And I mean, it seems to me... Like, when you, when you look at Dr. Frankenfurter as a person, and you observe him basing only off of what Brad and Janet are learning as they go through this journey, Dr. Frankenfurter is an eccentric, who is a scientist. He likes both sides. He, yeah, they learn very quickly that he's into both men and women. Yeah. And it's, you know, mm. revealed <laughs> later on, mm. after the fact of this happening, that he also crewed him. Columbia mm-hmm. in his group in this fashion. But he, he would meet these people. He would find them intriguing. He would lure them with something that they were attracted to. You know, in this instance, she was looking for love and he claimed to have like romantic feelings for her. Yeah. They were physical for a while and then he met Eddie. Somehow recruited Eddie, probably in a different fashion, but he lured him to his mansion. They probably had a fling for a little bit, and then he, like, tried to get rid of him. Yeah, there was weird shit in that house. Yeah, and I think, I think to some extent, he used Eddie to help make Rocky. <coughs> probably. I think. If he did, and, you know, Eddie coming out of the woodwork in that weird way and doing his little musical number, because, think about it. In that number, you can clearly see that Eddie and Columbia had, like, a f- at a one point a relationship, or they had developed a relationship, and they were going to run away together. Mm-hmm. And although it's no longer confirmed, 
that these two individuals were still in a relationship with Frankenfurter. They still had this loyalty to him that he felt betrayed over. Like, Columbia's going to leave me for a guy that I slept with. That doesn't sit right with me. So I'm going to kill him so that way she can't leave. And I'm going to kill him and my connections with Eddie so I can pursue this relationship with Rocky, who is in his eyes the ideal man that he created. Hmm. I think that says a lot about him as a character, especially how he navigates through relationships, because it, it doesn't really quite stay, like lay out his relationship with Riff Raff and Magenta. Only that they all, all three of them, came from the same planet, and they landed on Earth, and they were supposed to go through this mission, but somewhere along the way, Frankenfurter just abandoned that mission and started to live the life he never got to have in Transylvania, yeah. something like that. And Magenta, because of this, Magenta and Riffraff couldn't go back home, which caused them to resent him, therefore thwarting all of his plans, all of his relationships, all of his whatevers, and yeah, they just wanted to go home. Huh. So I think that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Because when you look at each of these people individually and all of the relationships they build with all these other people... It really says a lot about society as a whole. Because yeah. when you like when we see Brad and Janet, they're these two straight-laced individuals mm-hmm. who claim to love each other. Yeah. But then as soon as they're pulled out of society, away from their social norms and are thrown into a not so typical environment, they kind of explore a little bit, you know, like they experiment, they explore, they get to, they're introduced to new things that they find out that they like. Yeah. Like Brad realizes he likes receiving blowjobs and Janet realizes she likes being sexually active more than she probably was before this all happened. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a very interesting way of looking at things mm. as like a whole. Yeah, and he proposed <clears throat> to her and stuff, so... Yeah, I mean, because that was a social norm. Because yeah. Look at what happened in the beginning. But we, this is kind of a test for them. Yeah, but we when we meet them in the beginning of the movie, they're just leaving a wedding, like a friend of their wedding. And that's the social norm at the time. You grow up, you, get, you graduate from high school, went to college, you either got a career or you got married, and then you would like have this American dream lifestyle. But like I said, because they leave the social norm and they're thrown into this weird adventure where they explore other options they find out more about themselves as individuals than what society has told them they're supposed to do that's why like when dr scott comes in and he sees all this weird stuff that's going on and that brad and janet are thrown into this he's trying to remind them this is not like this is not where you came from this is not what you were told to do in society yeah so I think that's really interesting too when you look at when you look at Rocky Horror Picture Show as a bigger picture, it throws like all these things yeah. at like social normities and saying like it's okay to be different, it's okay to have sexual appetites in other fields, it's okay to be bisexual, homosexual, and so on and so forth. It's okay to be all these things, you yeah. know, because at the end of the day, like you're an individual living on this rock. And you only have so little time left on this world to do the things that you fully want to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just think that's really interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Not to go like too deep into it, but I just think all that is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, I'm good. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Sorry if I keep like clearing my throat and blowing my nose. That's it's all right. just I'm coughing the whole time. So this COVID thing is just not fun yeah. at all. I mean, we're out of the woods for the most part, but we still feel a little bit of the stuff. But yeah. But we'll be okay, guys. I mean, we'll be okay. We'll be making more episodes, so... Yeah, we're definitely going to try to get back into the habit of doing this more of a weekly basis. Yeah. And for the most part, it's been fun. Like, I'm glad that we've been sticking to a schedule, having a routine. I mean, we sit down, we record two episodes every other week, just so we can have something weekly ready for you guys, and... Mm -hmm. I'm glad that a lot of people like it. We actually, this past week, we got a huge influx of listeners. So, welcome if you're new to the show. Yeah. And we're really happy that a lot of people <laughs> like our show. Yeah, I was and, actually surprised with the numbers we had. Yeah, and if you're listening through any streaming platforms that allow you to like, comment, share, um, you can follow us on Instagram for other posts and such. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that you know every. I'm glad that people like our show. I like our show. Yeah. I'm glad that we get to do this show. And uh, speaking mm-hmm. of places for them to listen to, where can they go listen to it? Pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Breaker, iHeartRadio. Um, we're just now on Amazon Prime. But yeah, anywhere you can really get your podcast. Yeah. Also, check out our website again because it's it's getting there. You know, I'm I'm building it as we go. Little I've by got, little, yeah. I've got more blog posts up and posted if you guys want to read those. But yeah, I'm glad that you know our our show's expanding, and I'm really happy for it. Me too. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Abby Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin, and I'm Alia. Signing off, saying, "Can it, Janet? Damn it." As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.